I'm going to ask you to remain standing this morning for the reading of the word. So if you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 33 and follow along as we read, starting in verse 1. And I'm having us remain standing because what we are going into in this psalm this morning is the worship and the praise of God motivated by how he has revealed himself in his word. So would you follow along as we sing and as we read together Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves the righteous and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his heritage. The Lord looks down from the heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you now and submit ourselves to you through your word. We want to know what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to be faithful servants of yours. So God, this morning, come as we lift your name on our praises. Would you meet us here? Would you teach us? and instruct us. I pray that in everything that happens now this morning, Lord, in the preaching of your word and in the hearing of your word, would Jesus Christ be praised and would you receive the glory that you are due? And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this is a day to rejoice. You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that is true every day. But today, especially as a church, we have a unique opportunity to rejoice in the Lord. As Josh mentioned, this is our three-year anniversary as a church. And there is so much to celebrate and there is so much to be thankful for. It was August 16th of 2020 
when we held our first church service right here in this room. And many of you were here for that. And you remember the process leading up to that in the weirdness of the world, yet God is faithful. He does not change and he does not leave us. And so today, in addition to all of the general reasons that we have to praise God for his works and for what we see around us as a church, Grace Bible Church, we have specific reason to be thankful to God this morning. You know, Josh and I, Josh is our worship director, as we consider the ministry here at Grace and as we consider what the Lord is calling us to do, we both have a desire to emphasize the truth that our worship to God, our, and I don't just mean singing, I mean the way we live our life, our response to God, the obedience to His commands, all of these things should be done as a response to how God has revealed Himself through His Word and through His works. So in other words, what I mean is that we do not just come in on a Sunday morning and start worshiping with no context or singing with no context. We worship as a response to what God has done. And as I think back over these last three years, think about how clear it has been that God's Word has been active here. As we have studied together, as we have been transformed, as we have been convicted, as we have been encouraged by the Scriptures, it is living and active. And as a response to this living, active Word, we worship God. But not only that, we worship Him because of His works and how evident those have been in the life of this church. As we look back, I, just, I thought of this this week, and I want to just give a, a really quick overview of how we got here, because this is the kind of thing that motivates our worship to God. It was about seven years ago that in the providence of God, my path intersected with a guy named Charlie Handren. And Charlie was a pastor of a church in Elk River called the Glory of Christ Fellowship. And I didn't know what was going on. Charlie helped me with some church planting stuff and developed a really good friendship with him. As a result of that, I got to be friends with Kevin Fetter, who was the associate pastor at GCF, and a number of other people in their church. Great partnership with them. I had no idea what God was doing. I didn't know why those were significant meetings, but God was at work during that time. Two years ago, Kevin reached out asking about the possibility of merging Glory of Christ with Grace Bible Church as they drew to the end of their season of ministry. Because of the relationship that God had established between these churches, I had no idea what God was doing, but he was at work in those times. And then last year, our elders had a conversation with a glorious church whose building we had been renting for the last three years, asking them, had they thought about the future, what ministry looked like, would they be willing to sell us the building? We didn't know how that conversation would go, but God was at work. And in his kindness to our church, they agreed to sell us this facility for almost the exact dollar amount that we had gotten when we merged with the glory of Christ. I had no idea seven years ago that that chance meeting with Charlie Handred would lead here, but God was at work. And I say this because these are exactly the kinds of things that we need to keep our eyes open for, to watch the way that God works. Now, it's always not going to be in these spectacular, that's a, that's a spectacular work, yes? That's, un, that's uh, I got to be careful. I don't want to say unbelievable. Shame on me. We should believe that God can do what he promises to do. But we got to keep our eyes open 
so that we see not only the word of God, but the works of God, and we worship him for those things. So I start with this extended introduction today because that is what we see in Psalm 33. As we look at the text this morning, we are going to see three pairs of command or instruction followed by the grounds or the foundation of why we should obey that instruction. So let me just show you real quickly before we jump in. Verses 1 through 3 command us to worship God. Then verses 4 to 7 are going to tell us to do this because or in response to the fact that God is the creator. Verse 8 commands us to fear God. And then verses 9 to 17 tell us to do this because or in response to the fact that God is sovereign. And then the last few verses, 18 to 22, tell us that because God watches over his people, he's got his eye on those who fear him, we should wait and hope in him. So, do you see what's going on there? See the pattern? Command, do this, because God is this. God has done this. Everything in our life is a response to the initiating work of God. So that's where we're going. Let's jump right into it, verses 1 through 3. Now I want to notice here that in this command to worship, it's not just general. There are some specific characteristics of the kind of worship that the psalmist is talking about. I want to point out just a few of these. First of all, we are told to worship with shouts of joy. Now you might not think that shouting in church is acceptable, and I would agree, (laughs) right? So sometimes when we come across things like this in the text, we tend to dismiss it really quickly and say, well, that's, culturally, that's not where we're at. We're not going to come into church just yelling and, and doing kind of crazy things. And for many of us growing up in Scandinavian Lutheran country here, any expression of excitement in church is frowned upon. Okay? But what is the principle undergirding this? Okay, we might not do exactly what is being described here, but what's underneath that? There's a principle underneath the shouting for joy. What is it? It is an external, outward expression of the internal happiness in God. The the understanding of what God has done. The joy of salvation and redemption and all of the things that God has done are overflowing in the psalmist as he commands his people, shout for joy to the Lord. Now I'm not talking about some kind of chaotic, you know, flailing around kind of a thing. But it is totally acceptable to express to God the wonder and the passion and the affection that we have for him in worship. You're not going to get excommunicated for that. I promise you. So what does that look like, though? What do we do to express things to God? Well, in the context of corporate worship, we can sing boldly, Right? We can sing loudly to the Lord. You could say amen if something particularly speaks to you. There are appropriate ways to express affection and joy to God. God is not anti-expression. He's not anti-affection. But these things are to be grounded on and in response to the word and the works of God. The next thing we see here is thanksgiving. 
The worship involves thanksgiving. And here, <clears throat> for an idea of what this looks like, just write down in your notes Colossians 3, 15 to 17. I'm not going to read those verses, but those three verses tell us what it looks like to include thanksgiving in worship and how that should play itself out. So I commend those to you. But the bottom line is, thanksgiving is also a response. Why are you thankful for anything? What, what precipitates, what causes feelings of thankfulness? Well, usually it's after you've received something, experienced something, you, you close call, you're thankful to be alive, you receive a gift and you're thankful to the one who gave it to you. It is a response, and that fits right in with the theme of this psalm, that thanksgiving to God is a response for his word and his works. Also, there's things like playing musical instruments, singing skillfully to the Lord. Verses 2 and 3 describe this for us. This is all part of what it can and should look like as the people of God gather together and worship him in response to how he's revealed himself to us. So that would be the what in this text, okay? We say, well, what do you mean, worship God? Well, sing, praise, be excited, that's okay. Express your love for God in the context of worship. But now let's talk about the why. Why do we worship God? Now, this is verses 4 through 7. And what I'm saying is that the command to worship God is grounded now in what we see here, in the creative power of God or his works if you want to say it that way. Look at verse 4 with me of Psalm 33. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Do you see the combo there? Word and work. The word of the Lord is upright. His work is done in faithfulness. That's the same thing we're going to see all the way through this psalm. Worship God, says verses 1 and 3, because, that's the word for, it's because, he is at work, specifically the work of creation. And the psalmist here borrows language from Genesis chapter 1 as he describes the creative power of God. Some of the things that we should look at and say, oh, this is amazing. And the response then should be worship. Look at some of this. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their hosts now the word breath here, same word for spirit in the Old Testament. So it's the spirit of God, this creative power of God that is forming all things. He talks about the waters being held in their boundary. That's a, that's a retelling of Genesis 1, 7 through 9 where God establishes to the sea, you're not going any farther than this. I'm going to take you this far but no farther. This is the raw creative power of God. And these are the kinds of things that should motivate our worship for him. As we look around at the works of his hands, and not even his hands, it's the work of his mouth. What kind of power are we dealing with when God can simply speak and it happens? Do you have that ability? Can you say something and it happens? <laughs> nope. None of us do, but God does. And this is the kind of power that the psalmist is drawing attention to, saying, worship God because of these things. And I think another thing that's being emphasized here is that as the people of God, we have 
ample supply of content for worship. When you think about the Word of God, everything contained there, when you think about the works of God and everything that represents, there is no shortage of material. We could fill millions of songbooks with songs about the Word and the work of God. We don't have to come up with feel-good, Jesus-is-my-boyfriend kind of worship songs. We have everything we need in the Word and the works of God that can inform our worship, that can motivate our praise to Him. That's the whole point of this. Worship God because He has revealed Himself through His Word and His works as the Creator God. And that's to encourage us, Grace Bible Church, those, those of us who call this our church home, when we gather together for corporate worship, there should be two things happening simultaneously. We should be worshiping God together in response to his word while at the same time recounting, remembering, recalling all of the things that he has done and letting those kinds of things be the foundation of our praise. What else do we have? What, what else are you going to fuel your worship with? Now, of course, we have needs we have other things that drive us to the point of worship, but in the context here, primarily, what is motivating the worship of God is the word and the works of God. And I want that to be the case here. We want to worship God rightly, in spirit and in truth. So my encouragement can't get any better than what the psalmist says. Sing to the Lord, praise his name for all his works are done in faithfulness, and his word is upright. Isn't that great? We serve such an amazing God. So that is the first pairing. Worship, because God is the creator. Let's look at the second one. In verse 8, we see the command, fear the Lord because he is sovereign. So let's look at the first one, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now there is today, I think, and you can disagree with this, but there is today a kind of general lack of respect for any kind of authority figure, okay? Whether it's disobedient, disrespectful children with their parents, whether it's students with their teachers, employees with their employers, look back at the past few years. The, the absolute disregard for any kind of law or order or structure, the, the rioting, the violence against law enforcement, all of those things are a reflection of the fact that people in general hate authority. They hate anyone saying, you shouldn't do that, you can't do that. Don't tell me what to do. That's the kind of mm, impulse that human beings have apart from the work of the Spirit of God. So what's being communicated here is that the earth, now this is everybody in the world, okay, he makes this clear, all the inhabitants of the world are to fear God because he is the highest form of authority. All other human institutions of authority derive their authority from him. He is the highest form of authority that there is in the world. The word fear here is this is very interesting. This is not the word for respect or honor. 
This is the word for dread. This is the word for looking at something and going, whoo, this is dangerous. I better be really careful how I interact with this, how I relate to this. Why do you think the psalmist chooses that word? There's three different Hebrew words for fear. He could have chosen the one that meant respect or honor, but he didn't. He says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Jesus, of God, of the triune God. Why? Because God is the authority over all. And because of that, our response should be, fear him. So that's the pairing that we're seeing here. So that's the command, fear the Lord in verse 8. Now let's walk through some of the reasons in verses 9 through 17 that are given for fearing the Lord, for standing in awe of him. First, the psalmist speaks of God's sovereignty in creation, how God creates and sustains everything in the world. We've already covered that in the first section, so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time there. But notice in those verses, this is motivation. This is reason to fear God because of the demonstration of his power in the creation of everything we see around us. Second thing, we are told of God's sovereign rule. Now notice the difference between man's counsel. A counsel is just a word for plans or uh, purposes. Notice the difference between man's counsel and God's counsel. This would be verse 10. If you look at 33, verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing and frustrates the plans of people. But then the next verse, here's the contrast, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. See the difference there? The things that mankind comes up with, the scheming, the planning, the, the foresight, the, all those things, can, the God has absolute right to say that's not happening. But his plans, his purposes, the way that God has ordained things to be will never fail. They will never fail to come to pass. This is God's sovereign rule over mankind. So man can make his plans. He can set his course, but God is the one who decides what ultimately will and will not happen. God does not need to consult with his creation before he does a thing. Did you know that? He does not need your permission or my permission to operate in our world. It is his. By creator rights, he owns everything. Therefore, his plans will never fail. Now, I don't mean to say that everything mankind does is bad and horrible and rotten. But what I do mean to say is everything that God does is good and right. There are definitely times when there is overlap, when the plans of mankind, when his purposes, his counsel are on parallel for a short time perhaps. And that is, even that is a result of God's common grace to the world. However... The emphasis here should be on the fact that God's counsel, his purposes will stand regardless of what happens here. I'm not going to read these texts, but I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, Job 39 to 41, Isaiah 45 to 46, Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 11. These texts give indisputable evidence of what I'm talking about right now, of God's sovereign rule over creation. Now, as we move on, the next thing we see is God's sovereignty over mankind. So you see how this is coming down, it's narrowing in its scope. First of all, sovereign over creation, that's everything. Okay, next we have sovereign over the, the plans of mankind, the general ordination and structure of humanity, and then it narrows even farther to say that God is sovereign over mankind. Verse 12 is a kind of an anomaly in the, in the center of this. So we have all of these, these articulations of God's power, his sovereignty, why we should fear him, and then right in the middle of this drops verse 12, which says... Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now this is not out of place, even though it seems to be a little bit of a disruption in the flow of how it's going here. The reminder that the psalmist is giving is this. When all of the earth is commanded to fear God because of how he's revealed himself, there is the tendency perhaps to think, ooh, this is all bad news. And if we don't get things straightened out, we're going to die and we're going to frustrate ourselves and our plans aren't going to happen, all these things. But the reminder here is of God's covenant faithfulness. You notice anything familiar about this language? We saw this all over for the past six months as we were in the Minor Prophets. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. This is covenantal language where there is blessing promised for upholding or following in obedience to the covenant that God has established with his people. So in the middle of this language, in order to keep them from going off track or from thinking, oh, we don't know what's going to happen, how is this going to turn out, God puts a reminder in here that if you do what this psalm is teaching, if you follow after me, if you worship me in response to who I am, if you understand that as God I have all authority and right you will be blessed for obedience to my word. So God is sovereign in creation. He's sovereign in his rule. And next we see in verses 13 to 17 that God is sovereign over mankind, like I just said a moment ago. Now this is not just a general sense of awareness. Do you see what these verses say? That God sees everything that's happening on the world. This is not just observance. It's not just awareness. Does anybody know what the Monte Club Hill is here in Monticello? If you go up by the Resurrection Lutheran Church, there's a big hill, there's a water tower up there. And you can see almost the whole city of Monticello. You can see Big Lake, you can see parts of Elk River. And I go up there sometimes and, and sit and pray and think. It's just, it's cool, you can see everywhere. Now when I am up there, I cannot see everything. I can generally see I see cars, I see people riding their bike, I see people driving and all this, but I don't see everything that's going on. When it talks about God seeing what is going on, he is not just on the Monte Club Hill. He is on his throne in heaven and he sees, what does it say? All. <laughs> you see the repetition of the word all in this text? And not just a general kind of awareness. Look at verse 15. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. What are we being told here? We are being taught of the unlimited, unrestrained reach of God. 
that there is nothing that happens on earth that is apart or outside of his vision, his seeing. There is nothing that can be hidden from the sight of God, nothing that can be brushed under the rug. He is not limited by our ability to try to cover up our actions or try to hide things from his view. He sees everything. He sees the good. He sees the things that you do when you try to honor him and obey him. And he sees the bad. He sees the failure. He sees the opening of the private browser tab. He sees the conversation where you rip on another mom because she doesn't parent the way you do. He sees all of those things from his throne in heaven. And you wonder why the psalmist uses the word dread. For those who do not fear God, the eye of the Lord is condemnation. For those who do not honor and love God, to have him observe their life is heavy. But that's not where the psalm leaves us here. We shouldn't believe the lie that we can cover things from God. He sees everything. (laughs) But that doesn't have to mean condemnation for us. The last pairing that we see here in this psalm comes in the verses 18 to 22. So read this section with me again. I'm going to make a little correlation here to what we just heard. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver them and their soul from death and keep them alive as in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So notice the difference. For those who do not fear God, when they are brought into focus in the microscope of God's all-powerful vision, it reveals things that are horrifying and they don't want revealed. But for those who fear God, the eyes of the Lord are not a threat, but it is a blessing. Psalm 147, verse 10 says this, God's delight is not in the strength of a horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. Verse 11, listen to this. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Do you see the contrast there? Do you see the difference? Those who do not fear the Lord experience the gaze of God and it crushes them. But for those who fear the Lord, Psalm 147 says God takes pleasure in them. (laughs) Do you want God to take pleasure in you, in your life? Then fear him. Understand who he is. That he has absolute, unchallenged sovereignty and authority in the world. And he has revealed himself through his word and through his works. So his people should stand, as it says, in awe of him. And when we do that, he takes pleasure in us. And his gaze is not something that burns us down to nothing, but something that encourages us to press on and to follow him in obedience. The psalm opened with a command to worship God because of his power in creation, his sovereignty over all things, and now we close with this instruction to wait and hope in him.
This pairing, waiting and hoping, is so important. There's a way that you can wait without hope. Sometimes when you're waiting a long time for something, hope seems to be the last thing, the furthest thing from a possibility, right? And it can become sort of an embittering thing, like you're just kind of, I know it's never going to happen, but I'm still waiting for it. That's not the case with God. It clearly says here to wait and hope in God. Waiting for the Lord is different. Waiting for the Lord should, according to verse 21, fill our heart with gladness. Why is that? What is it about waiting for the Lord and hoping in Him that has the potential to fill us with gladness? Broken record time. You ready? Because of His Word and because of His works. We're coming full circle here as we come to the end of this psalm. It should fill our heart with gladness because we know the character of God. We have observed Him in His Word. We have read His promises. We know what He is capable of. And we've seen what He can do. We've observed His work. Therefore, waiting for God to do what He has promised should fill us with hope, and I would add, anticipation. It might be a long time, and of course there are circumstances where we are waiting and we don't ever see the answer to our question. We don't ever see the resolution to the situation. But the point is not that we get our way. The encouragement doesn't say, hey, you should wait and hope in the Lord because ultimately you're going to get your way and that's what's really important. That's not in here. What is important is that we wait on the Lord and we hope in Him, not because we will eventually get the relief of seeing the situation resolved, but because God is faithful and He will do what's best for us. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-seeing, and He will only do what is good for His people. So the instruction here to wait on the Lord because He has His eye on us, He knows what's going on, He sees everything should cause us to hope. And when we see His works, when we read about Him in His Word, it should fill us with gladness. Now that's that's an ideal situation, right? I know that that is not always the reality. I got to tell you, there's so many times where I find myself in the, in the waiting and I'm not necessarily full of joy and gladness. It's frustrating to wait. It's frustrating to wait, isn't it? But God calls us to wait, not in darkness and blindness, but he calls us to wait on him. And to wait with hope because he's revealed to us his good purposes and character. And that's a blessing. So let's close now by talking about what this looks like. How we can apply this sort of command and grounding, this, this rhythm that we've seen through the psalm. Let's talk about that both individually and corporately. However, they're sort of the same thing. So, I made a big deal out of this. That we do what we do in obedience in worship, in response to how God has revealed himself through his word, the Bible, and through his works. So here's the, here's the application. If you're going to know the word of God, you have to interact with the word of God. That's not hard. Everyone can understand that. 
if we are to respond to God because of his word, then you have to know his word. (laughs) Right? You have to know what he has said there, what he has promised there, what he has done there. So you got to know it. And of course, we can read God's word and we can see how he has acted. We can recount his works as we read through the Bible. But I would also encourage you, in addition to interacting with the word of God, and by interacting, I mean take it in. Read it, listen to it, listen to preaching, be involved in study, whatever you have to do. Get the word of God in your mind. But also... Keep your eyes open for the ways that God works in your life. It is one thing to say, man alive, look what God did to Moses. Look at his works demonstrated there. That's great, and those things should motivate us to trust in God. But there is a unique sweetness when you can connect the sovereign work of God to your life experience. This is what Brian was talking about a few weeks ago when he talked about the fact that every one of us have a testimony, not a conversion testimony, we have that too, but testimony of what God has done in your life that you can encourage someone with, this is what God did, not for someone else, but for me. This is the work of God in my life. What a powerful tool that can be in the hand of a believer. So keep your eye open for what God is doing in and around you and let those things motivate your praise to him. And the same thing is for us as a body, together as a church, that as we interact with the word, as we hear it preached, as we study it together, as we work and strive to know God through his word, we are going to worship him in response to that. And as we observe his works, this is why I started telling you how Grace Bible Church came to be here Because those are the kinds of things that we want to see together as a body and be able to come together and worship God because of what he's done. Word works. Word works. I want that burned into your mind. Because those are how God is to be worshipped in response to his word and in response to his works. So, are you ready to engage in the coming year of ministry? Are you ready to keep your mind and your heart tied to the word of God and to keep your eyes open for the way that he is working in your heart, working in this church, working in our community, and praise him for that good work? Those are the kinds of things that the world around us will find attractive and refreshing. The way that you respond to the events in your life is one of the strongest testimonies you can have for good or otherwise. So I encourage you, view the events of your life through the lens of the redemptive work of God and then worship him for it. Let's pray. Father, it all sounds good on paper to say that we should let your revelation through your word and through your works inspire and and motivate our worship and yet when it comes down to the practice of these things it can be really challenging and so God we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit you would enable us now to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth that our worship would not be shallow and 
and light and trivial, but that our hearts would be drawn to you because of how you've revealed yourself to us in your word and the demonstrations of your righteousness and the works all around us. So God, we ask that you would come and do this work. We are so desperate for your help. None of us can do this rightly apart from your spirit. And so please come. Enable us, Lord, as we celebrate today your faithfulness and your goodness. As we look back, would we be motivated to take steps of faith into the future? Because you are a faithful God. All of your work is done in faithfulness. All of your words are upright. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust in you. And Father, in everything we do, would you receive the praise. For you are good and true and righteous. So Father, do it. Do it for your glory and do it for our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.